Hello, and welcome to Final Show Films. I'm John Ersenstaku, as you might know me on Twitter, the executive producer here, and I just want to thank you for watching. It really means a lot to us that people watch, listen to, and enjoy our shows. If you want to help us keep making these shows as fun and lively as they can be, please join your fellow fans in supporting us at our Patreon page at patreon.com slash fsfilms, or by subscribing to our Twitch channel, twitch.tv slash finalshowfilms. It really means a lot to us that the amount of you who do support us continue to do so, especially our $25 plus tier supporters on Patreon. Antitonic, Cat Water Flame, Samantha Bates, Maureen Monty, and Gravity Alexander. Every little bit helps, so thank you to all of our patrons and subs. Check us out on Twitter at Final Show Films and on our website at www.finalshowfilms.com for updates, go live notifications, and more. We love interacting with you, so feel free to tweet at us or email us at finalshowfilms at gmail.com. That being said, please relax and enjoy. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Critical Thinking, episode 54. I'm John, at John A. Bates on Twitter. I'm joined today by Jack. Hey, everybody, I'm Jack, at AltF4Gamers on Twitter. And Jeremy. Hi, I'm Jeremy. I'm at J. Thomas Roland Mania on Twitter. And today we're talking about episode 53 of Critical Role, At Dawn We Plan. Before we get into that, I want to talk to you really quick about Raid Shadow Legends. Uh, <laughs> we are the only podcast slash content creator collective with more than five fans that have not currently been approached for an ad deal by Raid Shadow Legends. Get the fuck on it, Raid Shadow Legends. <laughs> well, now they don't need to because you just provided all the free advertising right. as if, from our podcast. <laughs> as if you don't know about them already from tuning into any YouTube video. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't because I specifically don't pay attention to ads in, mu- in YouTube videos. No, but this is internal ad. This isn't like exterior ads. This is like we did a sponsorship deal. So at the beginning of your thing, you'll shout out for them. And literally every YouTuber I watch at the moment, they pause the beginning of their videos to talk about Raid Shadow Legends for three minutes. Yeah, I don't pay <laughs> attention to that shit either. Right. I that's, skip ahead. Right. That's what that's what that's when you start the video and then get up and go grab the drink that you just remembered you forgot in the other room and then get distracted by a cat and then come back just as they're concluding. So that's why you should go use our promo code and then you tune back in. Why I do you gotta call me out like that, Jack? <laughs> <laughs> Almost verbatim to the to the very action. Uh, I also skip past, but it's just it's at the, it's gotten to the level of of like ubiquity that I'm like, hang on, I don't have any emails. We have a we have a not insignificant number of people that listen to us. <laughs> probably, be, probably no. If they're sending emails out to that many. They're probably their their official email account is is like from a Gmail account. So you're so you're spam. <laughs> no, it's from it's from an Earthlink.net account. Ah, that's it. That's it. And it's therefore, just... or Juno, Juno, <laughs> and therefore your spam filter is like nobody sends anything from this that's important anymore. 
<laughs> just fucking gone. doesn't even make it to the sp- spam mail folder. It yeah, just, it doesn't even doesn't even hit the junk. Doesn't even hit the junk mail. <laughs> the uh, the 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 sorter demon just goes nope. It's loaded with so many viruses it cannot fit through the door. Smither or burn style. By the way, am I the only one that whenever 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 there's like a like a, a software thing called a demon like a like a sort like a mail demon right. or a sorter demon? Right, yeah. I picture a little imp in like a post office uniform Fuck sorting yeah. through letters. I mean, I picture I picture an enormous like Cthuloid type thing that's just picking up all the emails and eating them. But no, whichever. I, I I picture it's like this little red imp with a post office cap and the blue like the blue and khaki uniform, just sitting on a stool in a in a post office room somewhere, just tossing the letters back and forth. Uh, uh, live action Jim Carrey's Grinch style, just like. <laughs> this may be a new record for. <laughs> Anyways, so what are we here to talk about tonight? Critical Role episode fifty-three. <laughs> yep. Don, we plan. Starring Laura Bailey as Vixalia, Talison Jaffe as Percy, Ashley Johnson as Pike, Liam O'Brien as Vaxeldon, Marisha Reyes, Keyleth, Sam Regal as Scanlon, Travis Willingham as Grog, and as always, Matthew Mercer as the Dungeon Master. Previously on Vox Machina, they revived a kid that they let die. Yeah, they did. It's always nice to pick up your trash. Oh! Oh! <laughs> <laughs> The show picks up with the group attempt, uh, moving through Western to take this young child who is currently riding on the back of of Trinket to his home. Uh, they travel for a little bit of the ways uh, through uh, through um, uh, through Western until they find a door that the child identifies as his own. He excitedly hops off and runs towards the door. And I I, I do want to point out during this entire like lead up to this. The ladies at the table are like voicing their concerns for or for 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 the, for whose name we we soon learn is Theodore the child, um, and like you know considering the fact that they hadn't thought about the fact uh, what would they do if the kid's parents were dead. Uh, meanwhile, the guys at the table have retreated in on themselves physically and are all adopting guarded control positions. As if they are, they are just like, you know, like, uh, Talazin, for the most part, has his hand over his mouth and is leaning on his arm and is just watching. Liam has hands in his lap, shoulders sort of sucked in, head down, staring at Matt the entire time. <laughs> like, Sam is not being very jovial, as is, as is unusual for him, and, and, uh, and, um, Travis is just arms crossed. You know, like football, you know, football coach watching the proceedings, leaning back. Uh, as they approach the door, Theodore runs up try- and knocks on the door, tries to get it open. It's locked. There's no, re- there's no immediate response as he's calling for his mom. And there's a, a little bit of tension building here as, again, the guys are all holding these poses. And at, at, I think at this point, Talison does the uh, hands clasped together, two index fingers together across the lips pose. Which is both a thinking pose and a fuck, 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 fuck pose. Right. And after a few moments, they hear the sound of somebody on the inside. Theodore's mother uh, comes to it, realizes that they're there, realizes that the kid is there, 
opens the door and they're able to reunite the kid with his family at which point there is a physical sense of unclenching from everyone at the table <laughs> hell yeah uh i just want to point that out because body language says a lot and if you're paying mm-hmm. attention you'll see that this is uh i think at this point liam outside of the game was going through a bit of a rough patch emotionally um and this is the first time he smiles in this game like as soon as the game right. starts properly and he just like visibly relaxes a little bit and even later on comments that they're getting that one little ray of sunshine in the at the beginning of the game um the the party reunites theodore to his mother uh who reveals that they had been hiding in a secret passage in sort of a secret compartment underneath the house when Theodore got out and that's how he got caught. The, fam- uh, the, the group reassures Theodore's mother that he absolutely didn't die at all whatsoever, not even a little bit. Um, which she seems to take at face value. Uh, and they uh, ask her a few questions about, you know, how they're doing, what they're, you know, what's going on. Suggests that the family probably get out of, uh, get out of White Western and take any of their neighbors that they know with them because there's going to be an imminent dragon attack, apparently. Uh, and at, at roughly this point, uh, Keyleth notices a broken uh, statue to Melora on the ground. And after sort of identifying it, she picks it up, fixes it, hands it back to the lady, and then proceeds to go, I'm an atheist, convince me why I shouldn't be. <clears throat> In roughly that amount of words. Um, which is, which is why I have dubbed this episode the Keyleth Hardcore Atheist episode, because throughout at least the beginning part of it, there are, there are two different times where she, unprompted as far as I could tell, just hammered, does, does the militant atheist thing of like, yeah, sure, you can believe in gods. You know, kind of, kind of attitude to it, which is, you know, it's, it's a, it's a very keyless thing, and it's very, and it's, you know, it's very in character, but it's just one of those things that I'm remind that I get reminded of as I go back through D and D games. I don't know if we've, have we had uh, a keyless, comma, har- uh, hardcore atheist episode yet, or is this the first one? I, 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 I there's been questioning. Yeah, yeah. There's been a lot. Uh, there was. I don't remember when it was specifically, but there, no, no, duh. Uh, the, 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 uh, all the chemo stuff. Yes. Yes. Chemo. Yes. Chemo was, chemo was the, chemo was the, the, the origin of Keyleth comma hardcore atheist. Right. And now we have the return of Keyleth comma hardcore atheist. Right. As she hands this, as she hands this lady, the statue of Melora asks her who Melora is. And then after the explanation asks, why should I believe in Melora? Unprompted. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I think that's, that's one of those things that even from someone with a lot of understanding of the, the dynamics of this can be, can be a bit of a hurdle because the, the intersection of life and religion in something like a Dungeons and Dragons setting is very different than yeah. obviously it is in the real world. You know, you don't have people 
who have observable direct connections to empowered entities on a different plane wandering around doing shit about it. Yeah, right. Um, as well as the fact that, honestly, even even just being of a a societal fabric where an individual generally only adheres to either one deity or one religion, that's really weird even from a real-world perspective. They're, the vast majority of the, the planet there there's a there's a synchronitis there's a syncretization of religion depending on either life events or social circumstances or that sort of thing but the idea of only having one religion that's your religion to the exclusion of any others that's not common for a pretty significant portion of of the human population on mm-hmm. on our planet it's kind of a Western thing, and I can get into my whole, you know, history of religion bullshit some other time. But yeah, so so having the militant atheist, it's a little, it's 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 a very Eurocentric kind of archetype to play. Yeah, mm-hmm. doesn't well, and- doesn't mean it's invalid, of course. No, but, yeah. you know, but it's but it's 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 something that definitely, I would say demands extra consideration yeah and it's a like looking at it you know narratively and 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 sort of character wise i think it's a moment that well it's definitely a whoa what the hell just happened thing i think it does make a lot of sense in that from kima till now they haven't had a lot of direct Saren Ray aside mm-hmm. and, and Raven Queen to a degree, but but that's still coming in, and that actually factors into to my other point. They haven't had a lot of direct interaction with with faiths. Yeah, it's been a, um, it's been a fairly religion and deity light sort of campaign. Yeah, yeah. And, and, um, and, and, and and at the very least in the realm of Saren Ray with Pike. Their relationship with Pike is more about their relationship with Pike and not Pike's relationship with Sarah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, they are working on it. The, they're working in uh, sort of a really rough, desperate position now, where that's the kind of point where you do start sort of ruminating to yourself about what, those basic religious questions of why could the gods let this happen yada 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 um keyleth is obviously dealing with a lot of stuff in terms Mm. of ramifications from the raven queen right now so this poor melora thing is just (laughs) an opportunity not not conscious i think on keyless part whether it is on marisha's part or not it's it's another question entirely but not necessarily conscious on 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 keyless part of this is a place where i can let all of this shit that's sort of been building in me out at something at a convenient excuse yeah it's yeah. a little bit of a it's a little bit of a trauma bleed yeah it, it, it feels like a, a bit of a boiling point like yeah it really does something that has been um, simmering and that's why that's why i make note of like out of nowhere because 
That's kind of how yeah. boiling points work. They just sort of boil and you don't expect it and everything goes awry. Exactly. Um, and it's one of those things that I know, I know this is like other things that uh not 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 that you were doing this but but like yeah. like a lot of things that Keyleth does in campaigns or that Bo does in campaign um <laughs> it provided an opportunity for certain people within the fan base to say hey that was bad role i don't think so at all i think it was yeah. very good role i think it was absolutely great role playing and i think mm-hmm. part of the reason why this particularly struck a nerve probably struck a nerve with a lot of people is this is so understandably relatable. Yes. Like the 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 fa- the the idea Fuck that yes. like the 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 instance of you've been going through something very stressful and then something entirely innocuous and having basically nothing to do with the thing that's stressing you out just sets you off and you go on the attack like you just go yep. on the attack for no reason. Mm-hmm. That's very much what this feels like. Fortunately, the uh, the lady, the recently bereaved mother, <laughs> even if she doesn't know that, <laughs> recently temporarily bereaved mother. I mean, she was upset that her child was missing at the very least, and assumed dead. Right. Um, because you don't see the barbarians grab your child off the street and drag him away and assume he's gonna be okay. Um. The, re- the recently bereaved mother uh, takes it in stride and just sort of, you know, very, not calmly, but is a little bit more put together in the moment than Keyleth is at the moment. Um, just sort of explains who Melora is, explains why they have faith in her, that she is the goddess that sort of, you know, protects the, the, the little people, uh, socially little people, not physically little people, to be clear. Uh, um uh from those that would do them harm those would would ruin their harvest those that would ruin their crops uh Keyleth responds uh uh how you know why do you say that or why should i believe that and to which she goes well she sent me you and indicates vox machina who did very much fulfill that role <laughs> at least at the very least in this part which i always i always appreciate narratively i always appreciate the um the hindsight reveal of a mm-hmm. of a concept you know the 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 cuz it it sort of gets you thinking on on larger scale things of like you know if you know if the gods work in mysterious ways are we under our own control or did we do this because this was the gods will we have been doing kind of a lot of random shit up till now is the ra- yeah. has the random shit we've been doing been part of a god just poking us in the brain you know, it gets you right. thinking about weird things like that. Um, eventually, they leave this poor lady and her family alone after Pike gives Theodore a little wooden doll, whom he then names Pike and runs off very happily uh, to get cleaned up and ready to leave. Um, Grog, uh, Grog has a moment in here that's particularly amusing because when, when she first comes out and they first start talking to them, she sees Grog and sort of recoils instinctively because he looks like mm-hmm. a member of the Herd of Storms because he's Grog. Right. Um, at which point he very quickly goes, uh, um, we're currently under new management. There's going to be some changes in the area. You don't have to worry about it anymore. <laughs> which, un- 
Comedic anachronisms like that, I really appreciate, even though largely I don't, I don't, I don't necessarily care uh, one and, way or the other about and, anachronisms. And, dip, and diplomat grog is always great too. Whenever you, whenever you give that that sort of character the opportunity to 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 put on a a very different hat than their normal stereotype. Yeah, I, I, I do find it amusing that diplomat grog is basically customer service grog. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like that comes from a very real place for Travis. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. Uh, after dealing with them uh, and getting told that they hadn't seen, uh, she, the, the, the mother had not seen Pike's grandfather, uh, which would be, could be taken as a good indicator because typically if they see, if, if she were to have seen anybody, it would have been being dragged away by the, by, by the barbarians. Uh, they take off to find um god name Wilhand Wilhand thank you Wilhand Trickfoot Pike's grandma, uh, grandfather See this is why you take notes I have notes right here I just also have ADHD <laughs> That's fair <laughs> <laughs> As as evidenced if anybody's listening by the weird Twitter thread I did the other day where my ADHD just ran rampant and I was writing weird jokes anyways personally i just find it easy to remember his name because of the vast array of wilhelm scream references and jokes that the cast constantly makes well that's the thing like i want to say wilhelm not wilhelm right yeah Uh, so yeah, so they suggest that they suggest the family head uh to the encampment in the formula bay in the formula basin uh, suggesting also that they might go th- uh, take sewers to get out of there just to sort of keep it on the low. Basically, get everybody you can, get out, and then they go on to find Wilhand. Pike leads the group to Wilhand's home, uh, which is mostly intact, although the second floor looks to be looks to have partially block, uh, fallen in. And there stands Vox Machina's greatest enemy, Ador. Yep. At first, Pike suggests that Vax uh, handle the door, at which point Matt, rem- Matt reminds Pike that it's her home and she has a key. <laughs> uh, Pike unlocks the door, only to find that it has been blocked from the inside. Uh, while the group on the outside sort of takes a look around and tries to figure out how they're going to get in, Vax climbs up onto the roof, where he sees that the roof is partially collapsed because it looks like a, a large stone coming off of an explosion from somewhere nearby possibly a guard tower or something uh or or a temple nearby hit the hit the you know hit the roof and sort of collapsed into the second floor into the second story doesn't look like it fell all the way into the first floor just hit the second story vax slips down through that hole and goes to the living room at which point he finds the others trying to force their way in through the front door uh against vax's protestations that there's an open window right there made of glass with nothing blocking it uh, the rest of the group shove their way in through the front door, knocking over a bookshelf and breaking, as Vax calls it, a chaise lounge. Um, <laughs> upon entering, upon entering the building, they look around for Wilhand, uh, finding him. In, uh, 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 they find him in uh, an opening in the floor that they call into, to which Wilhand responds, uh, yelling that he's not there. Uh, at which point, Pike again for like the fifth time uh calls out to him saying that it's her pike uh at which point uh he emerges from the hole uh hugs pike 
hugs Grog, and then shakes the hands of the rest of Vox Machina, uh, uh, greeting the ones that he knows and being introduced to Percy for the first time. Uh, when asked what was going on, uh, he indicated that he saw them coming back and knew that they were here for him because he took one of theirs away from them and nursed him back to health, and that could be the only reason they had come back to Westron was to get him, so he blockaded his door and hid. Uh, some yep. more, some mm-hmm. more shenanigans ensue as uh, Wilhand, uh, portrayed by Matt as this very, very ditzy old man kind of, mm-hmm. you know, that, so that, that classic not-all-there old man character. Uh, explaining to him the situation, explaining to him what's going on, and sort of catching up, catching him up with the goings-on of Vox Machina. A couple of times he tries to comedically dive back into his hole, but Grog keeps him from going back in, eventually offering them all drinks uh, uh, of his home-brewed trickfoot ale, uh, which turns out to be, like, really bad moonshine, potato-based, like... It's like the sort of thing that you brew right next to your radiator. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> for sure uh, which Pike downs a half a bottle of before realizing well she probably grew up on this stuff so no harm no foul um, after talking for a little bit about what their next moves are they decide that they're going to create a mansion uh, uh, create one of Scanlon's mansions here uh, so that they, at the very least, they have a base of operations, and Wilhand can rest in a more comfortable place. Wilhand gets very excited at the prospect of a, of a mansion. Gets informed that Scanlan likes uh, that Scanlan likes Pike, uh, to which he's looking at uh, he's looking at Pike and basically goes, you know, I'll check out the mansion and see if it's legit for you. Pike explains <laughs> that she's that she's already seen the mansion and that her bed is there and it's the one covered in roses, which gives Wilhand. A bit more of a skeptical look, but before he can complain far too much more, Scanlan casts a spell and drags him in, at which point he is amazed by the size of the mansion within this seemingly magical door. Uh, Scanlan takes him up to his own room, and, uh, and uh, before leaving him, subtly, by himself, with no one else around, asks him uh, if he might be able to ask for his granddaughter's hand in marriage. <laughs> a... A, a a fairly low for Scanlan persuasion roll of a twenty occurs. <laughs> At which point uh Wilhand says, I'll think about it, but I'm gonna have to see more of your house first. <laughs> which to me is a fantastically gnomish sort of approach to the whole thing. <laughs> yeah. See, Here's a ma- here's a magic mansion. By the way, can I marry your granddaughter? I'll have to take a look at this mansion first. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, he leaves Wilhand in the ca- in the in the in the care of his spectral servants, making sure to give them the orders not to be stingy with the chicken, before <laughs> rejoining the rest of Vox Machina outside. The group then decides that they need to have a meeting and need to discuss exactly what they're going to do about this dragon, this whole dragon situation, and then begin walking towards their next location, uh, having a bit of a walk and talk as they go. Uh, they determine they don't really determine anything, with basically half the party being for dealing with the dragons now, and the other half of the party saying, if we deal with the dragon now and we succeed, then the rest of the dragons will know and come kill us, 
At which point, the other half of the party goes, they're going to know when we kill the dragon no matter what, so why don't we just kill it now? And getting into a bit of a circular argument around the same points. Uh, eventually, they arrive at the home of um, of uh, Qual, uh, yep. the person the the person from the uh, encampment that had asked them to come here to retrieve a circlet for them, or mm-hmm. for, uh, for him. Uh, and at which point, Scanlan, the leader of the people who are all about, let's go get that dragon, saying, "Okay, look, we'll fi- we'll see what we we'll see what we find in here, and then we'll make our determinations." Uh, in the over the course of the walk and talk plan, they discussed uh, Percy would like to see if they could uh, hold the attack for and until the next cycle of dragon attack uh, of dragon tribute, uh, as it appears that the dragon's going to be coming tomorrow to get tribute. Um, Grog and Vax are all for not doing anything at all and just leaving and and leaving it alone. Vex and Pike think that doing that would endanger the people of the town. Keyleth thinks that well, maybe if we maybe if we stuck around, if we you know waited for a bit, we could come up with a plan. But at the same time, yeah, Scanlan's right. We are we aren't really going to get another chance like this. Percy thinks we definitely will get another chance like this, yeah. and Scanlan thinks we've got a we've got a herd of forty people that can attach chains to spikes and throw them at the dragon. At least some of them will hit, and that's pretty much the the extent to which they get during their argument before arriving at Qual's home. Uh, they then go on the uh, on the uh, investigation of Qual's home, starting with the front door, which appears to be ajar. Uh, rather than simply walking straight into it, though. Uh, Vax uh, moves up first and checks for traps, at which point he sees the headless corpse of a Goliath on the ground, as well as a bloodstain on the wall, where his head seems to have been liquefied, and a stone in the ceiling that is slightly out of, out of, out of flush with the rest of the ceiling that looks like it would have swung down at appropriately head height. With the knowledge that this house is most definitely trapped, he brings up his sister to assist him in checking and disarming for any traps. As they move through the house, the rest of Vox Machina comes in behind them, and they find themselves looking around. Percy, the rich guy in the party, suggests starting at the top of the house and then going down, because paranoid, paranoid wealthy people tend to, keep their, tend to keep their wealth at the bottom of the house, so you start at the top, see if you find anything there first. Uh, they go to the stairs, at which point they discover that the stairs aren't real. And by aren't real, I mean that up from, like, the fourth stair on is just an illusion, which Vax sticks his head through, sees a slope down to a unlit furnace, uh, and then, without really saying why, grabs a, grabs a pillow, throws it down the slide, and then an eruption of fire uh, sort of springs out of the illusory stairs, as they determine the, tr- the exact nature of that trap. Uh, <laughs> there is another sigil, and I think this is around the time where Jeremy starts watching as while, mm-hmm. while they're messing with traps here, there's another symbol that I believe is an anti-magic symbol somewhere. I don't remember exactly where that one's at. Um, but Vax and Vex, using her flying broom, get up into the upstairs and search around for any sort of secrets or things that they might be able to find. They find a chest that is locked that Vex manages to unlock, find some coins inside, and is about to turn away when Percy calls up, Search the box again! And they find a hidden bottom to the box. At which point, Jeremy, you can take it away. Yeah. 
Um, so uh, investigating that, uh, they find that they, they they take the key back down to the main floor. There is a key in the box, to be clear. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I didn't. I didn't add that part in. <laughs> no. Yeah. Um, and eventually, after some 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 bantering, uh, the, they head towards the basement, which has a big quote unquote in Mercer's terms heavy ass metallic door. Um, there, there is an enchantment on the door and the keyhole area. Uh, Pike tries to cast dispel magic again, but it doesn't work this time. Uh, instead, Scanlan, ever the, the, um, ever the, uh, uh, utilitarian with spell work, uh, uh, cast, uh, summons his invisible servant, Mort. To, to go unlock the door, uh, which glows a little bit before opening up and leads into Qual's mostly cleaned arcane sanctuary. Uh, uh, looking around, they don't see the circlet right away, but they do find 12-foot-tall stone golem in the corner. <laughs> um, Consolation prizes! You can hear, and, and when, the, when they see the golem, you can hear this ting of scaling getting an erection. Yeah, yep. <laughs> Um, the the, gole- the golem appears dormant, so Vex decides to tie the tie the golem up, hoping that if it comes to life, it's restrained and can't harm them. And at this point, I really need to point out how uh, uh, how few golems this group has clearly dealt with, because we all know how that would have turned out if it had been active. I just yeah. love the idea of somebody going, no, no, no. We've got this 12-foot-tall rock man. I'm just going to tie his hands together with some rope. Yeah. Well, no, they, they tie all around him. Like, they, 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 they essentially bind him up. I kind um, of wish the fight had happened. Right. So that way, Mercer, you just go, and the golem flexes and the rope goes away. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, uh, 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 Vax also draws a mustache and beard on the golem. Because this is Vox Machina, and what else are they going to do? Not draw a beard golem on the mustache on the golem? <laughs> um, that would be sensible. It's like you've never met us at all. Right, exactly. Uh, Akilah pulls out the hunk of qual, as they like to call it, uh, which reveals the location of the circlet. Um, and Vex posits that it will allow the wearer to control the golem. So Akilah puts it on, they take a rest to attune it to him. I do want to note. They've had the hunk of qual the whole time, right. but didn't think to use it until they got to the laboratory. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, but that, but that's that's classic D and D party behavior. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. You have the thing that you've held on to for X amount of time, and you completely forget that as you're looking over your character sheet, somehow your eyes completely miss the one relevant thing. This glazes past. Yeah. Right. Um, it's like a Kalistar with a demon puzzle box that they just <laughs> never open. Something like that, yeah. Look, I'm getting there. Um, in or, the meantime, or like, or like a fighter who almost sells the legendary artifact they stumbled across. <laughs> Wait, who did that? Cody. <laughs> yes. All oh, right. That's right. 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 
he was about that to. That was kind of amazing. He was about to sell the spear that uh, uh, Stormbringer. Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um. <laughs> but yeah. In the meantime, uh, Grog is outside keeping watch and notices a couple of people watching him from down the street. Uh, he takes a moment to attune to the Titan Stone Knuckles. A moment takes a then half hour to an hour to t- uh, to attune to the Titan Stone Knuckles and gets a vision of the world's very creation, which sort of blows his mind a little bit, as you might imagine. Though, to be mm-hmm. fair, it is Grog. A turducken would blow his mind a little bit. This is true. <laughs> there, there's canon for that a little later on. <laughs> I mean... Well, okay, to be fair, I think a turducken blows a lot of people's minds. It right. does. Wait, wait, you mean it's there's a... thing a... that should not be. There's chicken in the duck in the turkey? Like, only, only fucking mankind can come up with something that right. fucked up. It's true. Hey, guys, guys, I know that duck and chicken and turkey are all great. But hear me out. What if we <laughs> shove one inside another? What if, inside what if... another? Like Russian nesting dolls of yeah. meat. Yeah. <laughs> Fucking. Oh, us. Um... <laughs> well, I didn't tweet the other day that we regularly eat and drink things we know will kill us. Uh, regularly. Yep. <laughs> Uh, Keyless sen- uh, having a tune, Keyless sen- Kit senses the connection of the golem and controls it to do a few test things like waving, curtsying, and giving Vax the double bird. In a great moment of what do we do when we defeat all of our enemies? Right. We um, play with their shit. Uh, no, no. What do we do? We give them the double bird. Well, we do that too. Um, he gets named Fastbender. Because uh, Scanlan was, was louder than Vex, or than Vex. What was the movie that uh, was out at the time that Fassbender was in? Uh, that would have been First Class, wouldn't it? No, this is pre. This, first Class was a while ago. Okay, uh, this might have been Days of Future Past. Let's see. This was no, it might not have even yeah. been that. This might was five twelve. Uh, this was uh, five twelve twenty sixteen. 2016, so that was around oh, first class? First, or, first, yeah. First half uh, of the year, Days 2016. Future Past was 24. Uh, this was Steve Jobs' uh, X-Men Apocalypse era. Right. Yep. Mm-hmm. Weird, con- weird connection, but sure. Um, Steve Jobs, by the way, incredibly under underwatched and underappreciated film. Yeah. Fassbender is fucking amazing in that. Um. Also, funnily enough, the same year that The Force Awakens released. Yep. And Avengers: Age of Ultron. Yep. Long weekend of Ultron. <laughs> Aven- um, Avengers: Fortnite of Ultron. <laughs> entire entire sequence of that movie takes place over the course of about four days. Yes, it really does. <laughs> the only literally the only reason that it was called Age of Ultron was because there was a comic book storyline right. called Age, Age of Ultron. Of Ultron. So yep. it's really bank holiday of Ultron. Exactly, yeah. basically. Basically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, so 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 Fastbender is now the name of the golem. Um and and Percy has 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 a wonderful moment where he's angry 
that somebody beat him to the punch of creating a robot, as if this is the first golem in the history of Exandria. He's going to be uh, real mad when they meet the character later on. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, Scanlan decides to make him invisible so that they can leave with him because they can't put him in the uh, the Raven Queen's... I don't remember what it's called. Pokeball. The Raven Queen's necklace thing. Yes. The Raven Slumber. Raven. That's it. Um, so Scanlan makes him invisible. Unfortunately, he's also much bigger than the staircase or the door. So he, the door, once he walks out the door, the door essentially explodes because he walks through the door and the wall. Um, Grog sees this, races over, and comes to, the, to in order to come to the rescue and goes face first into the invisible fastbender. Other fun fact, 2015 was the year that The Last Witch Hunter came out, which means we will, advent- we will be getting to the D&D diesel at some point in this period of Critical Role. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yep. Mm-hmm. Um, the only thing I remember about that is that Vin Diesel was super fucking high. He really was. When he filmed that. He really <laughs> when he filmed, wait, Dean Diesel or The Last Witch Hunter? Dean. Dean Diesel. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yes, but Dean Diesel specifically. Look. The cast has gone on record saying he walked in and boy, was that guy fucking high out of his mind. Look. If you had the opportunity, if you were Vin Diesel and you had the opportunity to make an entire big budget Hollywood movie around your young adult Dungeons and Dragons character, wouldn't you be high all the time too? Because you're clearly living your best life. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) <laughs> there you um, go. I've never been high before, so I couldn't say. <laughs> we'll fix that. <laughs> it's not legal in my state. There are other states welcome where to, you have welcome friends. Welcome to other sir. states. <laughs> One right on top of the other, where yep. two other people in this call live. <laughs> um, uh, uh, Keyleth has has Fastbender. Uh, uh, extend a hand. Grog takes the offered hand and impressively manages to outstrength the stone golem, uh, which I believe really puts him at ease about the whole situation. And then they head back to the Trickfoot estate. Um, at this point, the 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 episode takes its break, um, and when it gets back, they've managed to squeeze Fastbender somehow into the mansion. And Scanlan's like, "Welp, great guys. See ya. I'm gonna go find Kaylee, um, and take Zax with him." Yep. Zax hands Keyleth a uh, Wilhelm statue and asks her to mend it. Then goes and runs off with Scanlan. They head down an alleyway where Scanlan had Kaylee and her group escape into the sewer, and Scanlan asks Zax to track them. They get inside the sewer begin following some tracks, moving along until they find a large, bulbous form that isn't moving. It is, for the record, an Otiug. Uh, it, it looks as if a fight takes place. They, they, they pretty much come to the conclusion that Kaylee and company killed it. They come to a grate that has the bars bent open, which leads out south of the city, which gives them enough evidence to believe that the group escaped safely, 
and they head back. But not before Scanlan takes a moment to thank Vex for saving him during the fight with the Sphinx when Vex was also unconscious. Uh, which is nice. There's a nice moment that quickly turns a little bit sour thematically because Scanlan's <laughs> like, thank you for that. But also, that's why I killed some civilians because I didn't want to hit you with a fireball when they were fighting in, in, in the last episode. Yeah, I mean, it is, it is a very interesting because like, I, th- I found that moment was pretty pretty compelling because that's not the normal emotional connection you get between Scanlan and Vax. Right. They, they tend to be the, they tend to mostly bond over the prank war, I would say. Right. But yeah. And, and having that sort of like, Hey, thanks for saving me when we were fighting the Sphinx. Also, that's sort of why I accidentally killed those civilians. It's, it's a weird note. Yeah, it's a weird moment. It's a real <laughs> weird moment. Um, and I'm not even sure what else to say about that other than, like, maybe... It's weird, it but it comes up like, as very sincere, though. Yes. It's very genuine, which, yeah, is, like, which is, I think, weirdly, why I connected with that moment pretty well. Weirdly, it never... It, it, it didn't... The thought came to my mind, but it didn't match. It doesn't feel like Scanlan trying to shove off guilt. Right. Which is definitely something you would expect Scanlan to do, but it does it doesn't ever really feel like that 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 in that situation. Um but yeah, so uh Vax says next time not to worry about him because he'll be okay. And they start to head back. Uh back at the mansion, Keela introduces Fassbender to Grog officially. And she starts training how to use him, doing things like commanding the run, having him hit Grog. Uh, Grog takes the shot and then punches back with the knuckles, causing a little crack. Uh, Keyleth tries to play around with commanding commanding the, the golem and using her magic so she can figure out exactly how effective he might be in a fight as if they're going to take this giant thing with them on their adventure. I mean, you're going to be fighting a dragon soon. <laughs> right. No, it's entirely sensical. Remember, um, Keyleth, Keyleth was the one on the fence about maybe fight dragon, maybe not fight dragon. So Yeah. Uh, and that is where I hand it over to Jack. Yeah, so they, they, do, they do some testing of, of Fassbender's capabilities and try and figure out exactly what he can do. They find um, out he's a really great dancer and actor, but not that good of a singer. Um, and, and interestingly enough, can cast slow. Yeah. Um, right. Uh, but uh, so Percy gets subjected to the, the slow uh, effect of Fassbender's limited magical capacity, but still, but still present. Um, meanwhile, Grog and Pike are connecting over the spoils of war, primarily the Blood Axe, the Titanstone Knuckle. And there goes Jack's connection. Sorry, listeners, Jack's having a bit of an internet connection issue at the moment, and for the rest of us, he seems to have frozen in place. Um, yep. (laughs) It's a very funny face. 
Let's see if I have notes for where he's at. I just have I just have, I just have the gray screen. So I I have I don't have a gray screen. I have the the last facial motion he had. The last facial motion he'll ever have. Bum, oh, that got bum, dark. Bum. <laughs> what would su- that actually that's a really interesting premise for like one like uh in, in a new horror movie in the film of like the FaceTime horror movies or like the Facebook video chat horror right. movies. But it's like rather than somebody killing you while you're on FaceTime, FaceTime kills you. Like if you're Life. if your screen freezes while if your screen freezes while you're on FaceTime, you freeze in real life. <laughs> I mean, they literally made Truth or Dare into a horror movie, so there have been worse ideas. <laughs> and also, Truth or Dare was a horror movie, so there have been worse horror movies than that would end up being. Apparently, my internet dropped. It did, yes, did. mid sentence. It's cool. okay. We've just been talking about weird ideas for horror movies, specifically the idea of like doing like a video chat horror movie where if you freeze in video chat, you freeze in real life. <laughs> <laughs> that would be terrifying. No, thank you. Uh, let's see. What was I talking about? Oh, yeah. They were planning. They were rehashing their plans. You, the last thing you talked about was uh, messing around with, with Fassbender. They had just got towards the end of that part. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, so they were, they were trying to, to test the capabilities and, and Percy got slowed and that sort of thing. Yes. Um, Pike and Grog have, have some moments of connection as well. Uh, Grog gives her back the, uh, Gauntlet's Voger strength because he's using the Titan Stone Knuckles now. They geek out a little bit over the Blood Axe, uh, which he took off of, of, uh, Kevdak's corpse. Um, they test it to see if it talks or if it's evil, because that's a concern now, uh, given their past interactions with weaponry. Uh, but they have a nice little bonding moment over, you know, performance enhancing. Do, do we know at this point uh, what state the, t- the knuckles are in? That has not really been brought up quite as much nope. yet, um, because this is the second vestige that they've gotten i think yeah and i they, the, i think they know that they change form at this point second right. or mm-hmm. third they have the armor of the raven queen yes and right. the titanstone knuckles do they have myth carver yet yeah, they have myth carver yes yeah that's we, what we, thought. we oh, keep right. forgetting right. about myth carver because scam never, uses it. Fucking, never uses fucking uses it walking around with a fucking wmd and won't even point it at anybody Anyway, um, <laughs> I have my own opinions about that. But uh, at that point, the rest of the, the group, after, after Grug, and, Grug and Pike have their little confab, the rest of the group reassembles and they start rehashing plans, basically. It's mostly a, a, a redux of what they've already done before. Um, talking about what their sort of ideas are as confront the dragon specifically, but also the herd and how they want to employ them if they do. And that sort of thing. The only thing that's really decided on is we're all going to go talk to Xanroar in the morning. Maybe we can at least get him to release the prisoners. And Jack, if you want to see myth Carver used properly, you just have to set your, everyone is bards game in Exandria. And one of us will eventually get myth Carver. I mean, (laughs) 
potentially. Um, so they kind of wrap up their conversation, at which point Scanlan sort of just out of the blue proposes to Pike in front of everybody. Yep, that's a thing that happens. <laughs> it sure does. Everyone is quite taken aback by this. The secondhand embarrassment is real. Um, Vax literally is just dips right the fuck out. Um, and there's it, it, it goes about as well as one would anticipate a unprompted, uninitiated proposal on the eve of a potentially life-threatening conflict would go. So we've talked about Scanlan's bad habits before. Right. Right. I'm going to talk about a new bad habit that (laughs) people don't think of as a bad habit. From someone who has been married and who has proposed before. Uh Don't propose unless you have already been planning it with your partner and know for certain that they are going to say yes. Don't pressure. Especially not propose in a public setting like that. Because that is a large amount of mental and emotional stress. And if they say no... Ho, ho, ho. Well, it's it's an inherently manipulative. Yeah, it's action. inherently manipulative because it's it's pressuring them to say yes because they wouldn't want to say because you wouldn't want to embarrass somebody that hard in public by saying no. At the same time, if they say no, that relationship is over for a variety yeah. of reasons. Mm-hmm. But like, do not surprise like like you can absolutely plan to do a surprise proposal. I surprised my wife with our proposal. But she knew that I was going to propose at some point in time. Right. Like, you can do a surprise proposal, but make sure they're aware that there is a surprise incoming and that it is a proposal. So that they can have already spared you that beforehand and you are not pressuring them to say yes with the proposal. Because even if you are surprising somebody with said proposal, when you're considering something as life-changing as a as a as an engagement you whoever's doing the initiation thereof should have at least a modicum of respect and ensure that the subject of the question is at least in a comfortable place where they have complete control of their faculties and have all the tools at their disposal that they might need in order to critically consider this sort of monumentous decision yeah you don't you don't drop it in the middle of a party in front of a whole bunch of people as you're trying to plan on whether or not you're going to go murder or get murdered the next day there are several factors here. there is however a a large amount of comedy to be had from such yep circumstances and that is more or less entirely what ensues both immediately everybody's reaction to the aftermath um, and then there's a brief break. Vax has already just vanished out of this crazy situation. Um, people start getting ready for bed. Vax has a brief one-sided conversation 
at the Raven Queen. Vax, uh, Vax cringed into a max stealth roll and left. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> uh, yeah. And uh, goes to his bedroom to find a solitary black feather on the pillow, which he keeps. There is a somewhat hysterical follow-up conversation between Pike and Scanlan in the aftermath of the proposal where she confesses to having read the hey, read this letter after I'm dead uh, letter immediately upon receipt from him, which we referenced several episodes ago when that happened. Um, and they go back and forth a little bit, you know, both of them, it, Scanlan somewhat coming to the realization that, yeah, no, that was a crazy thing to say, and I'm definitely completely disconcerted and slightly reframing a less problematic perspective and deployment on the whole thing yeah as Um, a narrative tool it was very useful for getting these characters in line like sort of emotionally like like getting getting scanlan to a point where hey this needs to be addressed and that provided a method to be addressed narratively it was fine it's like Mm -hmm. in real life don't do that (laughs) yeah But everybody gets an evening's rest and then the entire group of them head out the next morning towards the Margrave's house in order to talk to Zanror. Now, Zanror is basically in the the slightly weird position of going from prisoner to now de facto leader of the Herd of Storm. Obviously a, a weird transitional moment for, for the, the tribe. And Matt does a very good job, I think, at framing it as such. This is not a seamless transfer of power. This is something that's very rocky, something that has a lot of bumps along the way, and something that is not going to just come off without a hitch. They go in, they talk to him about what he's planning. Um, As they even just approach the headquarters, they can already see the herd is preparing for battle. Um, Grog recognizes this as their general sort of traditional pre-battle meditation ritual, whatever. There's the war paint going on and all that. This is a this is a group that is ready to charge directly towards whatever threat they feel that they're facing, which is pretty clearly indicated to be Umbrasil, uh, the black dragon who they had sort of been subjugated under when Kevdak was in charge. So they go in, they they have a little bit of a, a of a conversation with with Zanror, and that is when the front doors bust open. And so the herd of storms prior to, or at least around the same time of their their occupation of Western, had incorporated a secondary smaller uh band of raiders, the Rivermaw tribe, into the fold of the herd as well. That leader is now coming and basically saying, I was brought in under Kevdak. I don't recognize you, Zanror, as leader. I'm taking my... And now you want to run us into a suicide mission against a, a, a black dragon. I want to take my people and leave. So the sort of closing conflict of this episode is this back and forth where you've got Zanror as representative of the Herds of Storms. Uh, I think his name is Ivar or Ivan or whatever, um, as the leader of the Rivermaw tribe. And then Vox Machina, very present and sort of involved in the conversation. But Ivan the Iron Willed. That's the guy. 
Um, and it's a, it's a very well-crafted conflict dynamic that gets employed here and everybody plays into it extremely well. There's a lot of tension to the situation. You, um, you know, Ivan, Ivan comes in and makes his, his demands. Basically we're leaving fuck off. Um, the doors shut behind him. And at that moment, there's this very palpable tension in the room of, all right, what's going to happen here? Is somebody going to lose their head? Is this going to come to blows? Is this something that someone is going to be talked down? If someone talks down, whoever gets their way, what, do, what sort of face does that mean the other leader here loses? And then, of course, how does the, the player group factor in on this whole thing and it's a it's a very well done tense scene and i think part of the reason that it's very well done is that there is an immense amount of player buy-in to the dynamic that's happening one thing that i frequently notice in in situations like this especially with less experienced players or or uh, storytellers is that for whatever reason there, th- it's hard to tell a good tense story of this nature if both players and their characters don't buy into the tension of of the moment. If everything is flippant, if if consequences are considered to be in uh just m- either unimportant or minor enough that they don't garner any level of respect from the actual characters in the situation this sort of thing could very easily fall very flat if they, you know, if it, it could still be dramatic, you know, if say Grog had just pulled out a weapon and cut this guy's head off or something like that. But it's easy for those sort of interactions to, for, for players, especially I find to have that sort of, I'm one of the badasses here so therefore i have to pretend or i just i never play as though i'm actively threatened by anything around me it's even though what, this right go ahead Jeremy. yeah it's what we we of the the wrestling fan community call the no sell right um and, yeah and very my pet peeve my right, absolute yeah. fucking yeah. pet peeve among yeah. among players right you know, and, and, and well, and in a, in a, in a stage performance art, like, like wrestling, a no cell can occasionally be effective. It can. Sometimes it's just absolutely not. Right. But yeah, yeah. It, it, but it's, it's effective when it's used with purpose. When your point mm-hmm. is to build up a story, like a, a great example is um, Fiend. The Undertaker was what I, Oh, I wouldn't say that's a good example in most in, cases. In in in, in certain cases, it is. I um, would say the Undertaker is the, the Undertaker is, is is a good example though. Yeah. Is probably the classic example, mm-hmm. um, where the Undertaker would, um, you know, you would start to beat him down, and you would you would hit your finishing maneuver, and you'd slowly get back to your feet turn around and the undertaker would sit up yeah and right. it's that <laughs> moment of dead flat just boom. what do you do like you can't put this guy down and consequently 
it made the people that did beat Taker seem that much more formidable. Um, the, the problem is when it's done in something that is a little less narrative, not less narrative, but, but more interactive and it, it's not necessarily done with a specific purpose of like all of the story acting in unison together. Mm -hmm. And it comes off as essentially trying to do that sit up from the storyline itself. Right. Yeah. Which for, is a problem. Yeah. For like me, there are, I there feel are like, mm -hmm. I was saying, yeah, there are ways to do it. There are ways to sort of do that sort yes. of emotional or physical, depending on what the situation is. No self <laughs> as a player character. And it works. Yep. It's just that all too often that it, all too often, what happens is it's that, that uh, disconnection from the, buy-in of the story that yeah. happens right in my opinion, particularly in places where it's unearned right yeah and and in my opinion especially for things like D D and, and tabletop gaming by and large there are exceptions to every rule of course by and large the no sell is only the prerogative of the gm it really should be you know if if you're or at least the approval of right. the dm right it's because threat is established by in 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 most cases for tabletop storytelling threat is primarily established and tabulated by the storyteller yeah right you know and so the ability of a player to accurately analyze is this a good no sell moment without very strong communication from their their storyteller is hampered at best. I I think I feel like it's absolutely a thing that that players can do, and I think it's a valuable oh, yeah. thing for I think it's mm -hmm. a valuable thing for players to be able to do. Yeah, um, I do think it require. I do agree though that it it requires a level of ability to communicate with your GM. Yeah, as to whether or not that is the case, and and. I feel like for the most part, instances of this that I have experienced as a GM and that I've, mm -hmm. I've also experienced as a player because I've done this before myself, primarily the issue where it becomes an issue is in the misunderstanding of what the player knows about their character versus what the world as large knows about their character or, 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 or right. whether or not those two views agree. Like yeah, you know the congruency it, in perspective. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's a yeah, yeah. it's it's mm -hmm. a it's mostly mostly not always. There are definitely players that do it just because they can. Right, but right. at least from my experience, it has mostly mm -hmm. been a disconnect of views from the GM to the player, wherein yeah, like this is like a player might be, oh, this is a situation my character has been in a lot, and thus they might not be as affected by it by other by as other characters might be, which is an entirely valid thing to think about your character. Mm -hmm. But then if the GM is thinking this dwarfs even that character's experience and those two views are not aligned, it's going to end up feeling bad yeah. for both sides. And right. it's some, yeah. And it's something that I feel like if a player feels like they can hit that point, they should definitely check first because I think it is a situation that, like I said, this is my absolute pet peeve as a player uh, and as a DM, 
is that because what when one person is sort of laughs in the face of whatever it is or just shrugs it off it encourages through it, it it sets the stage for the rest of the group mm-hmm. to do the same thing and whereas it becomes it potentially it could be a moment where one person but everybody else recognizes the seriousness of it if the entire party is oh, yeah. like eh then it's destroyed any 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 dramatic impact. Of that. Absolutely, it's right. it's definitely mm-hmm. not a thing that everyone can do at the same time, no. or everyone. But that tends to be time. that tends to be, in my experience, how that plays off. Yeah, one person does it, and and this is just human nature. But it's really hard to have yours be the one person who is really strongly affected by it. And yeah, that that. Oh yeah, no. That, yeah, mm-hmm. I feel like yeah. I feel like probably the best way to, uh, at least from my mind, the best way to make sure that it fits narratively is to have it be a thing that is instigated by the GM. You know, like mm-hmm. the GM set, like the GM will say, uh, like you know, every you know, all of you sort of feel nauseous at the smell, except for so and so because of your background or whatever. Well, I think, and there are a lot of there are a lot of systems. Roller Darkness is the one that I'm thinking of immediately, but but every system has some sort of thing of it where there are mechanics that are built in to do that sort of thing. So, yeah. like when I'm running a World of Darkness game, it's somebody's like, "Ha ha, no, this doesn't bother me." I'm like, "Spend a willpower point." Right. Mm-hmm. That's the whole point of a willpower of of willpower and laws of not just that extra success. Yeah. Right. That, that you can spend it's that that, that sturdying of your of your right. mentality. Yeah. Like, to have right, something yeah. that would cow a normal person, you can spend that willpower to if be like to it doesn't that, bother. Right. Me. And and like yeah. World of Darkness is actually the setting that I think of where I think no selling on the player's behalf is. A critical yes. element, especially if you're oh, playing yeah, like really a vampire yeah. or a werewolf. Mm-hmm. You know, these are creatures who, statistically speaking, would be likely to no sell horrors that would cow lesser creatures. Yes. Mm-hmm. Like a, were- a werewolf can get hit by a bus and stand back up. Right. right. <laughs> no, yeah. yeah. It- and, in, and in a good werewolf game, yeah, that sort of thing does happen. Yeah. The things that really hurt you. Aren't buses, <laughs> right? <Yeah. laughs> and I think- it is, and I don't even think like if I were running a world game, I don't think a bus would be the kind of thing. I think spending a willpower, like a nexus crawler, shows up. Oh yeah, right. And mm-hmm. you don't go, and everybody else is running for the hills. I choose not to, and I'm trying to tear it down. You better be spending some goddamn willpower there, my friend. Yep. Though, conversely, in, in situations like that, at least for me, the fun the fun part is when the mechanics force you to freak out, as we yes. saw with Hakao. <laughs> it's yes. just like, this like goes from everything's fine, everything's fine, nothing is fine, and it nothing will never be fine, fine ever again. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and yeah, and that's... That's the other part of it that I think it is crucial to be able to do that because you can have no cells early in uh, early in a, a, a campaign or a narrative looking at like like actual, you know, yeah, I say actual and that's not to not to demean <laughs> looking at narrative fiction. playing games, 
Yeah, right. like mm-hmm. like like single person, single creator narrative fiction. Yeah. That's a good term. Um <laughs> but in in both of these it's 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 really important to have those moments because when you have the early like you have using werewolf as the example because we've been going off that using you know a, a moot where this big burly like super badass guard up get a fenris arun comes over and tries to stare you down if you know sell that there's value in that when later on something bigger and badder shows up and you don't know sell that right because no cells build your character up yeah mm-hmm. and then make the threat that you eventually cannot do that to that much more impressive yeah the trick is just not to no sell things that can actively kill you and then proceed as if they can't right because then they kill you and it's really your fault <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. yeah I yep. mean, that's those come for great. Those are great humor moments. I mean, too. they are. Ex- I can handle this. Splat. They they right. are, except for the player who is doing the thing who will get upset. But yeah, yeah. I can deal with this Nexus crawler. Your bones turn to acid. <laughs> Ever the rest of the pack is like, well, shit. <laughs> And that's why we're in the market for a new ragabash. Yeah. It's always a ragabash. (laughs) (laughs) We're having a a raga shortage is what we're having. Yeah. Um, But so the... But everybody buys into this very well. Yeah. To the the fact that, you know, because... And and they, they unify behind the very palpable threat of, look... You guys are planning to face the dragon more or less ASAP. You've got some groundwork laid for that. Ultimately, they decide that having a reluctant cadre of people who are forced along is probably going to do more harm than good. They say, cut the river mall loose, let them go. We'll do this on our own terms with people that we know we can trust. Um, and they manage to consult with Zanror and manage to buy another day to set up a trap so that they can at least confront the dragon as it comes down to the town, which is ground that they have a better chance of controlling rather than going with Zanror's initial plan of charging up the mountain and fighting the beast in its den, which did have some tactical merit. It's harder to fly in a cave, um, but they go back and forth a little bit and and ultimately end the episode on all right we ha- we actually have a plan now um they're going to take the next 24 hours to set the stage to confront umbrasil when he comes down for the expected tribute on the following day yep i do appreciate so at dawn, they did in fact plan at brunch, it they planned. Dawn. Really. It, it was, was dawn. No, they were they were out before the crack of dawn. Yeah. At mm-hmm. brunch, we planned. Anyways, um, I do appreciate. I do want to point out and appreciate the fact that, um, Scanlan, 
who is not typically a very tactical thinker, or at least not a very vocal tactical thinker, um, as far as planning goes, uh, was sort of the one throughout this episode leading that charge of, no, we have to make a plan now. We have to figure this out now and not wait like we normally do and fuck it up because we've only got one shot. Mm. Um, I think it shows partly, you know, and partly it just shows the depth of, of the depth of Scanlan's character. But I think it also shows how important it is to, to him personally right now that he not fuck this up when his daughter's nearby. Mm-hmm. Yep. Because yeah. it feels like, at least to me, it feels like a lot of the actions that he takes um in this episode and in the series of episodes that take place in western after he realizes that kaylee's in the area are design are, are coming from a place of i can't disappoint her mm-hmm. right like thinking about you know actively proposing to the person that he's in love with actively trying to you know do what he thinks is the <laughs> proper thing in that regard actively trying to get this kid back to his parent, you know, back to their parents and save this town and solve these problems rather than just running away from problems, which is his normal go-to. Mm. It's very interesting that he was on the let's stop here and deal with it side of the argument rather than the let's run away. Yeah, very much um, so. And it felt to me at least like a lot of that is influenced from his daughter being in the area. What do you guys think mm. about that? I think that's fair to say, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, no. Scanlan's general deportment, it it hasn't entirely changed since he met Kaylee, but it's definitely different when she is in the picture. Yeah, and even and, and even though they've yeah. confirmed she's out of town for him, she might still be right over there. Right. She's still very present in his mind, and that's having the 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 become increasingly familiar effect on his thought process and conduct. I mean, you could, you could even potentially chalk up a little bit of the proposal to that of dear God, I need, you know, I'm supposed to be, he's, he's gotten, he's, he's formulating an image in his brain of what he needs to be for his daughter. And I think, you know, standard family structure is probably contributing heavily to that. And so he's like, well, shit, I better do something about that. Yeah. 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 And it's, it's, it's particularly interesting to watch Scanlan going back, like, like rewatching this. Cause I wasn't a father at the time and now I am. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. so sort of seeing the, cause Sam is a father. I think he's got two yep. kids, doesn't he? Yeah. He's one, one or two kids. Two. At least two. Um, I think just two. Um, and like, it's interesting because I've never actually played a father in a tabletop RPG game. Like, it like actually has a child right now kind of character. Um, and looking at the way Scanlan changes when he realizes he's a father very much feels... It's a very interesting thing, and it's a very interesting narrative to take. And I've been very much enjoying with this sort of fresh perspective seeing mm-hmm. it unfold again right yeah yeah no i i have never played a parent to child figure in a tabletop game either i think mostly because i can't wrap my brain around how you could do the general sort of things there and still be even remotely a responsible parent 
you could make it work. It would take some doing on my part. It's a little bit easier for me because I'm all, I already never see my kids because they're asleep while I'm awake. But <laughs> <laughs> I'm more talking about the, you know, constantly engaging in fairly oh, yeah. life-threatening oh, yeah. activities, you know. That's the sort of things oh, that yeah, I'm yeah, yeah, yeah. More, a little more worried about. Yeah, no, like the the sense of like presence around your children. You could you could work that in pretty easily. You know, it's See, just uh, now now I want to do a like everyone is travelers kind of well, the the, the char- Romani esque like you know nomad sort of. Well, it's what you're doing with the bards because it's a it's a kind traveling of, yeah. circus. And that's actually that's actually the character like the character concept that I'm working on there is a father figure like and so mm-hmm, I'm mm-hmm. I'm interested it'll be interesting to play but yeah. uh, you know I, I Scanlan's story in this arc in particular begins at least for me to get a lot more compelling mm-hmm. than it was prior to this arc yeah yeah um, and I think it continues to grow that way. Uh, so yeah, so that was at Donnelly Plan. Next time we'll be coming back with uh, 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 in the belly of the beast, and at some point we'll have to discuss when, when, and if we want to do any of the non-canon episodes like D and Diesel. Because I just looked, and we missed D and Diesel about twenty-five episodes ago. <laughs> I mean, how far behind are we at this point for things like that? Like I said, twenty-five. Oh, oh, oh from from reality. Yeah. Do we really need to to to, to slow to, down any further? Throw a little more weight on that sinking barge? Probably not. Though it would be interesting as like side stories of like you know this yeah. is what this is because there are I feel interesting things to talk about in the one shots and particularly of the structure of one shot episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's something we can talk about later. Anyways, if you guys want to, if you guys want to hear us talk about how high Vin Diesel actually was, feel free to drop us a line in a comment or in a review, uh, or on Twitter where you can find me at Johnny super, Bates. Super high, and you can find so Jeremy at uh, J Thomas for one one. And you can find Jack at Alt F Four Gamers. And we'll see you all next time. Say goodbye, everybody. Bye. Bye. Goodbye.